Welcome to WriterSpark, Tips and Tricks for Fiction Writing. This podcast is all about paying it forward. Writing a book is a huge endeavor, and my goal is to make it just a little bit easier for you by sharing tips and tricks about fiction writing with you based on everything I've learned over the past 15 years. Doing some real author talk is the other big focus of this podcast. We can learn so much from one another. The authors I chat with are so generous with their time and knowledge. I hope you enjoy all WriterSpark has to offer. Everybody loves a good origin story. Today I'm sharing mine, my path to becoming a national best-selling author. So grab a cup of something tasty, settle in, and get ready to ignite your WriterSpark. Hi everyone, I'm Melissa Bourbon from WriterSpark Writing Academy. Uh, the podcast, WriterSpark, Tips and Tricks for Fiction Writing. This channel has been going for a while, and I don't think I've ever actually done sort of an introduction, so that's what this is. So I'm just going to talk a little bit about what I do and how I got here, including my book world and also the development of WriterSpark Academy, which I would say is my passion project. So um, first of all, I let me just introduce you to my Magical Dressmaking series. It's my first cozy series. This first book was released in about 2010. Um, I have some books that came before that I'll talk about at another time. This series is about to be re-released with brand new covers. Uh, there's six books and this is really cool because I love history. Hated it in high school, but I really like it now. And as I was coming up with the character for this series, I love the name Harlow. And as I was trying to think about what would Harlow's last name be, I, came, I brainstormed and I came up with a list and I tried each name out with the first name Harlow. And then I came upon the name Cassidy. And I thought, Harlow Cassidy, it has a good ring to it. And then I started thinking, well, why Cassidy? Why should I name her Cassidy? And the first thing that came to mind was Butch Cassidy, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, a movie that I love. And, uh, I, you know, I've always liked the lore of Butch and Sundance. And so I thought, well, what if I have an alternate history for Butch Cassidy in which he leaves behind his a wife that nobody knew he had who's pregnant before he leaves escapes to Argentina. And when he's in Argentina, he makes a wish in this magical fountain that's a real fountain there. And he wishes that his um, that his descendants will be charmed. And so that's what happens. So we have a goat whisperer and we have um, Harlow's mother who can make plants grow, for example. And we have Harlow herself who can sew wishes and dreams into the garments that she creates for people. So this series is kind of like Project Runway meets Small Town Texas. And Harlow Cassidy runs a little dressmaking shop there when she comes back to town after her grandmother dies and she takes over this house and this is what she does with it. And so she sews the wishes and dreams of people into the clothing that she makes for them. So it's a super fun series. I'm really excited that the rights are being reverted to me and I get to re-release them with covers that I think are fabulous. And then I have the Bread Shop series. And this one I write as Winnie Archer, which is, um, uh, Winnie is my grandmother's name on my father's side, and Archer is a surname 
a couple of generations back on my mother's side. So if I had to take a pin name, which I did because this is a different publisher and they wanted to re-release it, or sorry, they wanted to release it as a debut, which meant I needed to have a different name. So I wanted to choose a name that was important to me and I came up with Winnie Archer. So this series, the Breadshop series, takes place in the fictional town of Santa Sofia, California. It's a central coastal California town. Kind of uh, imagine a blend of Santa Barbara and San Luis Obispo and somewhere there on the coast. And there's a bread shop called Yeast of Eden. See, cozy books are very punny. And uh, in this book, Ivy Culpepper comes back to her hometown of Santa Sofia. Sofia uh, is named after my daughter. So her, her name is Sophia with a PH, but the town Santa Sofia is with an F. Ivy comes back to her hometown. Um, there's, there's some reasons why. Uh, there's some grief going on and a loss that happened. And she ends up discovering this bread shop, forms a real connection with Olaya, who becomes sort of a, an aunt figure. And then she meets Penelope Branford also, who lives kind of catty corner across the street. And she becomes somewhat of a grandmother figure for Ivy and really Ivy's sidekick. So she's this um, octogenarian sidekick and she's a hoot. She's a fun character to write. So that's the Bread Shop series. The eighth book in the series, Bread Over Troubled Water, comes out November 29th, 2022. Then I have a couple of standalones. So these, uh, well, these are actually a set. This is Silent Echoes and Silent Obsession. And these are based on Mexican legends. This Silent Obsession is based on the legend of La Llorona. And Silent Echoes is based on the urban legend of Chupacabra. And these books, they're much, much darker than my cozy mysteries. I really love them. I remember about maybe two or three years ago, I was reading, rereading them. And I was so excited because I kept turning the pages and turning the pages and turning the pages and thinking, oh my gosh, what happens next? Because I had forgotten. And I thought, wow, I wrote this. I'm pretty good <laughs> because I had, I was riveted by the stories. So I love these stories. I don't like to, um, I don't, I don't really like to stay writing in that really dark world, which is why I tend towards cozies and more traditional mysteries rather than these sort of suspense. But they are fun and interesting books. So Silent Obsession and Silent Echoes, they're the legend books. Also on KU as a bundle. And then my latest series is the Book Magic Mystery Series. There are five in this series, starting with a novella and then Murder in Devil's Cove and then uh, Murder at Sea Captain's Inn, Murder Through an Open Door, and this last one, which just came out in September 2022, Murder and an Irish Curse. Now, this series I absolutely love. Pippin... Lane Hawthorne, who is the heroine, the protagonist of the of the whole series, is a bibliomancer. And that is an ancient divination with which a bibliomancer, a person, uses a typically a religious text of some sort, puts it on its spine, lets it fall open, and something is revealed to them about the past or the future in the text that is there. And Nostradamus is one of the most well-known bibliomancers. So Pippin 
is, first of all, she's named after Peregrine Took from Lord of the Rings. Her father, Leo, is a big Lord of the Rings fan. And her brother, Grey, is named after Gandalf the Grey. So we've got a lot of book references in here, including references to Tolkien. Um, We've got Homer in the first book, the Odyssey, that plays a pretty significant part in uh, solving the mystery and kind of bringing things together. So if you are really bookish, uh, I say these are kind of a love letter to literature in a lot of ways. So there's an an ancient curse, a 2,000-year-old Irish curse. There are Irish deities in here. There's Dagda and Morgan. And it takes place on the Outer Banks of North Carolina on this fictional island called Devil's Cove. It's a lot of fun. This is a fun, fun series. And um, I just I just love it. I have a couple of other things. Some novellas. Trouble in Tumbleweed is one collection that is a collaboration with other authors. I've got the Foxy Ladies Mysteries, and that features Hattie Juniper Pickle, who's in this book magic series, but it's kind of like a spinoff. So imagine uh, if you're of my generation, you might remember Cheers and Frasier, who then ended up having his own show. So the Foxy Ladies Mysteries are a cozy series of novellas, and Hattie is the main character, and those are a lot more cozy than this particular series is because it's more just straight mysteries that they're going to solve. She and her foxy lady friends are going to solve each um, each book, each novella. So that's kind of an overview of the books that I write. But I wanted to go back a little bit. Let's say go back to about 1996 maybe. And I want to go back there because I think that people really like to hear author origin stories. How did authors get their start? And my start dates back to 1996, even though my first book did not get published until 2008. So how did I get from 1996 to 2008? What was I doing during all that time? Well, my first son I have have five kids. I've got four boys and one girl. So my first son was born in 1992, and I was teaching middle school at the time. And then my second son was born in 1994, still teaching middle school. And pretty much at that point, my entire salary was going to daycare. And my husband and I Kind of had a a sit down and decided that it made a lot more sense for me to stay home and raise our kids and not have that money just go to daycare for, you know, not spend all the money that I was making for daycare. And I was good with that because I wanted to be home raising my kids. However, I did not want my brain to turn to mush. So I started writing. And at the time, I started with a middle grade book because remember, this was the mid 90s. This was before the big YA revolution. There was not a lot of choice for middle graders and even young adult high school kids that were more contemporary. So I thought, well, I'm going to write something that my students would love. And so I did. And I actually really like that book. There's a lot of things wrong with it, but I actually really like it. It's, it's never been published. Um, probably with good reason. and But I learned a lot from that process, mostly that I didn't know very much. I 
was an avid reader growing up, and I'm still an avid reader. But being an avid reader does not mean you know how to write a book. And that is something that I learned fairly quickly. I wrote this book, then I compiled the story into a synopsis that was wildly long, way, way, way too long, sent it out, mailed it out, because that's what you had to do at in the mid-90s. This was uh, predating internet and email as a way of life anyway. And uh, I got back in my self-addressed stamped envelopes a lot of personal rejections. And I became pretty dejected over that. But in hindsight, I realized that that was pretty good for my first effort because, you know, I could have gotten just all form rejections, but I didn't. I got uh, form rejections with handwritten notes. I got personally typed rejection letters. I got an array. And I didn't realize at the time that a personal rejection is pretty darn good. Not as good as getting an offer for representation from an agent, but it was still pretty good. So... I put it aside because I was pretty dejected and I didn't really know, you know, enough about the industry to even realize all of the good things that that meant. And I continued to be with the kids and um, had a few more kids in, in the interim, wrote a children's book, which was published. And fast forward to 2002, we had moved from the East Bay in California to the Sacramento Valley. And my youngest son was born. And I started meeting on Monday nights with a friend of mine who also was a writer. She wanted to write. She had a passion for writing like I did. And so we left the kids at home and supervised, of course. (laughs) And we met on these Monday nights and we would write. So we'd have prompt books and we would just follow the prompts and write to them. And before long, I had a character. And then she had a brother. And then they had a family. And then they had a house in Midtown Sacramento. And I thought at one point, well, I could make this into a book. I could completely turn this into a book. But what kind of book would I do? What kind of book would I write? And of course, about two seconds later, the answer came to me. And the answer was a mystery because I grew up reading mysteries. I grew up reading, you know, the Bobsy Twins and Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys, and I graduated into all of the Agatha Christie books. I remember my mom and I going to the library so she could check out Curtin Poirot's last book. That's a that's really a memory that's embedded in my mind. Agatha Christie was a huge part of my teenage years. So it was very obvious to me that a mystery was what I needed to write. And that's what I did. So this was about 2003. I did go back to teaching, and then I had all of these kids. I was working part-time, and I had the kids, and, and um, you know, we just had our life, which was pretty busy. And so every night at the dining room table, I would write, though. When the kids went to bed and I had some free time, that's what I did. I sat at the dining room table, and I wrote, I wrote, I wrote, I wrote. And fast forward again to about 2006, I ended up getting an agent. So I had a couple of offers for representation, which was very exciting. I decided to go with this one particular agent. And again, you know, a learning experience. She represented more romance. And I didn't, she didn't let me know that 
up front, and I didn't realize that up front. And she really wanted me to revise this book and turn it into more of a romance, less of a mystery, which which I did, and sort of you know with trepidation, but I did it. And after a, quite a while, she was not able to sell that book. And in the end, we ended up parting ways, and I ended up going off with her assistant who was going out on her own at that time. So I was one of her assistant's first clients. And that uh, was my agent for a long time, actually, until just a few months ago when we decided to part ways. uh, Because again, she's gone in a different direction than my career has gone. And so I have a new agent. But that's a different story. Um, So I went with this with Holly, with my new agent. And we took that book back to the mystery that it originally was. It was kind of a caper, fun slapstick mystery. And it sold within three months. And I'll tell you about this series another time. So it sold quickly. And my, the lesson there was to go with my gut, to follow what my gut was telling me about my own writing, not to force myself to write something that wasn't what I wanted to be writing, but to follow my instincts, to follow my gut, and to write what I wanted to write, which was what I also wanted to read. The first book in that series came out in 2008. And then, as I said, Pleading for Mercy, the first book in the Magical Dressmaking series came out in 2010. And this past September, last month, 2022, my 28th book came out. So it's been a pretty great career, I would say, so far. And I feel like I'm, you know, not even halfway through it. (laughs) I have a lot of books in me yet. But I was a teacher first. And through all of this, I continued to teach middle school, a little bit of high school. I taught at an alternative high school setting with um, kids that had trouble making it in that real system. And I taught adults at Southern Methodist University with their continuing education program. And I've taught here in North Carolina where we live uh, different events and different workshops and different things with the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute through NC State, North Carolina State, and also with Duke. And I teach online and I do in-person workshops. So I continued all of this time to teach because teaching is just in my blood. It's I, I love it and I'm passionate about it. It's just that I've transitioned from teaching English language arts to teenagers to teaching fiction writing to mostly adults. But what I've done most recently is to start an online learning platform called WriterSpark, WriterSpark Academy. And there's a website, writersparkacademy.com. And there's the online learning platform where I have courses that I've created. And when some friends have asked me and family members, why are you doing that when you have this writing career? And, you know, my answer is, is twofold. One is because I love teaching and I go back and forth between thinking I could write and be totally content, but there's always a part of me that wants to teach and this fulfills that part. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is that, as I said, you know, when I first started, we didn't have the internet and the plethora of information at our fingertips that we do now. 
And I ended up joining several different writing organizations, including RWA, Romance Writers of America, which was a great organization. I didn't write romance, but it taught me so much about writing, about the craft of writing, about the industry. And I met some amazing people who, some of whom are lifelong friends. Um, And what I learned is that writers are often so generous with their time and their knowledge. And I learned so much from the people that I encountered along the way. And WriterSpark Academy has been a way for me to take the things that I've learned about the craft of writing over the last 15 years or so and to pay it forward, to give it back in a sense, to help people jump the line. You know, I had a lot of steep learning curves along the way and a lot of stops and starts and a lot of frustration and just a lot of learning that I had to do on my own. And WriterSpark Academy, the website, all the content there, the online learning platform, the YouTube channel, and the podcast, they're all ways for me to pay it forward, to give back to the writing community that has given so much to me. So part of what WriterSpark Academy is, is um, examinations of the hero's journey, which I love and passionate about. Uh, it is talking with authors and having real conversations about what works for them. What are their processes? Because I think that we all have so much to learn from one another if we allow ourselves the opportunities. And then I have the courses that I've created. Ready, Set, Write is sort of the comprehensive course that covers pretty much everything that you need to become pretty well versed in writing a novel starts with character development, with your protagonist, your antagonist, the supporting characters. It goes on to look at dialogue, mood and tone, point of view, setting. Then it goes into story structure with the hero's journey and the three-act structure and how those two things also can be combined. And there's lots and lots of examples and references from books and from movies to make it really um, come alive, I think. And then it goes into scene structure with scene and sequel. So there's so much in that course. And then, of course, some of the series I write are cozy mysteries. And so I thought, well, I should definitely write a course, create a course to teach people how to write cozy mysteries, which is what I did. So I have the field guide to writing cozy mysteries, which takes you through creating the antagonist and the crime itself and then the sleuth and coming up with the clues and the red herrings and backwards mapping. That's my teaching coming into play. This is what you do when you create a lesson plan. You look at what you want the end goal to be, the end learning to be, and then you map backwards to figure out how am I going to get the students there. It's the same thing with the mystery. You know what the crime is and you know how it's going to be resolved. And so how do you get your sleuth there? And you backwards map those clues to get them there. And the thing about cozy mysteries in particular, mysteries in general, uh, we're not talking suspense here, but mysteries are that the clues are generally hidden in plain sight. You need to play fair so that the reader can get there on their own. And when you have the aha moment at the end, if you have surprised them, they could go back and realize, oh, all of the clues were there. You laid them out if only they had been able to see them. 
clearly, but you misdirected with lots of red herrings. So the Field Guide to Writing a Cozy Mystery is all about that whole entire process of taking your idea and fleshing it out and turning it into a cozy mystery series. And I have mini courses there and just a lot of great information to help aspiring writers, new writers, and anybody who likes to take online courses. It's just a lot of fun. And then, of course, the website, which is full of content, and I am working on these WriterSpark endeavors, and I am really working hard to pay it forward and to impart to you all, to aspiring writers, to new writers, to anybody who's interested, a lot of what I have learned throughout my writing career over the last 15 or so years. So make sure that you visit the podcast and check out the YouTube channel because one of the things that I'm doing a lot of is chatting with authors, author talks. So I have Plotting 101 with Libby Klein, Putting Humor into Your Writing with Diane Kelly. Then there's How to Be a Plotter and Still Write by the Seat of Your Pants with Daryl Wood Gerber and Writing Your Bliss with Brooke Peterson and Lessons from the Writer's Room is coming with Ellen Byron. There's so many great authors that I chat with and things that are coming up, interviews that are coming up with great topics, so much to learn from other people, from authors that are doing what you are passionate about, doing what I am passionate about. I learn something from everybody that I talk to, and I hope that you will too. I hope that you are entertained. I hope that you learn something, and I hope that you subscribe or follow and listen wherever you listen to podcasts and come back to YouTube frequently to check out new content, check out the website and the online courses, and learn and have fun. So that's it. Until next time, happy writing. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Come back for more tips and tricks about fiction writing and learn more about our online courses at www.writersparkacademy.com. I'm Melissa Bourbon. Thank you for listening. And until next time, happy writing.